0: Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that had come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with the hands, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Once again, verse twelve, he entered once and for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so we also see, in this better theme, that there's a better blood, which we'll be talking about today. Jump forward to chapter 10, verse 14. Chapter 10, verse 14 says, And for by a single offering he has perfected... For all time, those who are being sanctified. For a single offering, which is the blood of Christ, that he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. Jump down to verse 18. And it says, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so we see that there is a better forever. That this sacrifice that we see Explain to us is not just better, but it is better forever. So there's a better tent, which we talked about two weeks ago. We're going to talk about the better blood today. And next week, we're going to talk about the better forever. So that is kind of the summary. And what um, I want to do is, is basically kind of have a three-week sub-series as we look at this section of Hebrews, which actually looks at the section of Jeremiah. Okay, so uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. Let's get, jump back there. The author of Hebrews um, jumps in here and presents this Old Testament text. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, quote, and here's the Old Testament quote from Jeremiah 31, Behold... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me already, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remind, or I will remember their sins no more. So back in verse 7, when it says, For that first If that first covenant had been faultless, then there wouldn't need to be a second covenant. In verse 8, as it's quoting Jeremiah, it says, Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord when I will establish a new covenant. And so what I want to do for just a couple minutes um, is is talk about that first covenant, that old covenant. We are far, far removed from the old covenant. Um, It was now... uh, millennia ago, okay, not just years ago or, or centuries ago, but this was a long, long time ago, and we're just out of that realm, we're out of that phase, we're out of that tradition, um, I, I mean, that's it, just out of our zone, but those who received this letter um, was in their lifetime, and they had experienced it, and they had been there, like literally in that temple, and, and they and they had experienced the sacrificial system. Alright? So when we're talking about the law, when we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant, when we're talking about the old law, um, when we're talking about the sacrificial system, those are all different terms and different names for the same thing. Alright? Just so you know. Um in the Mosaic covenant, it comes from the word Moses, alright, not Mosaic like. The fruit fru restaurant here in Mount Pleasant. Okay. So it's, it's the law that was given to the people through Moses. So therefore the Mosaic Covenant. So this Mosaic Covenant is what is being referred to, to as the old or the former or the first or the one that was, not, that was found to have fault because of the people. And what God did was he said, This is how you interact with me. All right? I will give you laws on how you interact with me. And we talked about this two weeks ago. But we said that when God established a relationship with his people, that it was not like our establishing relationships with each other. Because a lot of times when you get to know somebody else, maybe even more specifically in a, in a marriage relationship or a dating relationship, a lot of it is kind of what makes you tick, you know? What, what feeds you? What is your love language? You know, how, how can I help you in your weak spots, and how can I compliment your, uh, your giftings? And all this, like, you know what? We're just going to get better and better. And the longer <coughs> Lauren and I are married, the more we kind of know each other, and we can kind of just figure each other out, you know? But God doesn't work that way. God, from the beginning, has said, this is how you interact with me, because I am God. And when he first spoke to Moses through the burning bush, he said, You take your shoes off because you are standing on hollow ground. That this is sacred here. All right? And I I, I am who I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I created all this and created you, and you are a sinful man. All right? So I'm the one who is setting up the law here. All right? But this, this law isn't a bad thing, the law is a good thing. Because. because God is good, and we say that, but if you think about what makes, what makes God good, you could go through all the different character traits of God which are in fact true and that make that, the things that make God God, that, do, that don't apply to anything else, uh, but what I want to propose this morning as we look at this, this good God is that one of the things when you boil all of God's characteristics and his character traits and his godhood, when you boil it all down to what makes God good, and what is what makes God good to us is the fact is that is the fact that he is the giver of life first of all and that he is the giver of blessings, you know? Because I I don't want to cheapen it and say that God is good because he gives me uh, pleasure, though that might be true, or that God is good because he gives me a good job. Okay, that that may not be true, but you know, those things can kind of (laughs) ebb and flow. But from from the beginning of God's relationship with man, whether it was in the garden with Adam and Eve, to, to right now, when we live by God's laws, there's blessing. And when we live by God's laws, there's life. And there's no life giver other than God. So God, who is good, who is the giver of life, and he is the giver of blessings, when he makes a law, he's saying that these are the laws that will bring you more of me. Right? <coughs> that, that when God gives us laws, he says, I am giving you the way to life and to blessing. It, it really only makes sense. That I am good, that I am God, that I am initiating a relationship with you, this isn't you trying to figure me out. This isn't us hanging out so much that we get to know each other and we know how, what your vibe is and you know my person. No, no, no. no. I'm God, and this is how you get to know me. This is how you come into my presence. And this is the way you make yourself known to me, and this is the way I make myself known to you. There are laws. And when you follow them, comes life and comes blessing. I mean, what, what, what more could you ask for? You know? If you boil down all of the good things that we can even fathom, it it boils down into those two categories, life and blessing. So, if we break the law, What happens? Bless him from the Okay? What's the opposite? Curse. Death. This is the law. Here you will find me. You know? I'm the giver of life and I'm the giver of blessing. If you break the law. If you break the law, it's not just a oops moment. It's not just a, well, you know, you guys, you know. It's not just a, well, we all sin. The opposite of the law is death and curse. Jump back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis Chapter Two, verse sixteen. God, in the beginning, gave a law, and laws, by definition, uh, do not exist without consequences if they're broken. Alright? If if a law is given with no consequence, then ultimately it's it's a suggestion, you know, or maybe even a principle. But a law is is mandatory. Genesis chapter two, verse sixteen it says, And the Lord God commanded, all right, when God speaks, he's not offering suggestions. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. There's a consequence. Adam had been given life, and he had been given blessing. He'd been given uh, free reign. Uh, The garden was was the place of perfection. Uh, It was a place where Adam met with God. And he walked with him. And he talked with him. And there was pure relationship there. And in the beauty of this created world that we see now, imagine that 100 fold that, that there was that level of perfection in the garden. But God made a command, God made a law, and said, You can do all of these things, but you must not do this. And if you do, there is a consequence. There there will be judgment. Another word for that is is wrath that will come upon you. Jump forward to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, meaning God, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? When it says that Adam and Eve were naked, it means that their shame was exposed. That their shame was exposed and they suddenly knew that they had sinned um, they had broken the law and as a result of the breaking of the law a curse was placed on them and mankind and death for the very first time was introduced Jump to chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of sin, skin, and he clothed them. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin, meaning animal skins, and he clothed them. This was the first death of in the garden. Because Adam and Eve sinned, a curse was put on them, death was introduced, and death was required in order to cover their shame before God. Because God cannot look on that. So what God did was through the death of an animal, He provided a way for them to be temporarily covered. You see? And this is what we look at as the beginning of the sacrificial system. That Adam and Eve sinned, death was introduced, and somebody outside of themselves, not a somebody, but a something outside of themselves, had to die. And when this first first happened, God provided their covering. Okay? God provided a way for them to be covered, even though there's a curse, even though death is introduced, that God provided for them a temporary way for them to have a fixed relationship with Him. So we see this at the very beginning in Adam and Eve. And what we see is that blood is the only right response to sin. All right, That blood is the only right response to sin. Because God, who is good, and he is good because He's the giver of life and blessing. And when, when, when his laws that lead to life and blessing are then broken, they lead then to death and curse. And so, therefore, to find restitution or redemption out of this problem, blood is required. Blood is the right response to sin. It is always the right response to sin. So if you take Adam and Eve and that story in the garden and you fast forward to the giving of the law (coughs) by Moses when he received the law from God on Mount Sinai and gave it to the people of Israel, that God is then there in a much more official way, as in written on tablets and written on scrolls, literally given the law. The children of Israel are given the law that says this is the way to life. And blessing, I'm, I'm giving it. To, I'm providing for you, sinful people. I, I'm not just out there, but I'm giving you the path of life and blessing. But you must keep my laws, and you must have restitution. And so we enter into the Mosaic covenant, or the Old Covenant, or the sacrificial system that we're talking about. And when Jeremiah speaks of the the first covenant, or that there's a new one coming, obviously, therefore, there must be an old one, this is what they're referring to. And the Mosaic covenant basically says this, and I know that you know know this, but I want to write it up here because we're going to look at it. You have a high priest. All right? And what he does, uh, he's from the tribe of Levi, and he's designated as the as the one who is a representative to God for all the people. And what he does is he takes the blood of goats and bulls and calves and lambs and pigeons and he sacrifices them And he goes to the Holy of Holies, where God dwells, after he's purified himself. And in the Holy of Holies, he's (laughs) representing all the people. And he does so yearly. Now, there's a whole sacrificial system here. All right? But once a year, there was an ultimate sacrifice that was paid by uh, the high priest. So the high priest would offer uh, the blood of goats and bulls, and he would go to where God dwells. We talked about that two weeks ago specifically in the Holy of Holies. And he would go there representing all the people, and he would do so yearly. All right, that's, the, that's the boil down, the summary of the Mosaic Law in the sacrificial system. But, all of this pointed to something greater. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, the very text that we're looking at in Hebrews is a throwback reference to Jeremiah where it says, there's a new covenant coming. And the new covenant is going to do these things. It says the words, new covenant. All right, this is from before the time of Daniel in the Babylonian exile. This is like 650 B.C., Okay? so this is old Old Testament stuff uh, flip forward to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 All right, this is part of the part of the commentary on Jeremiah Hebrews chapter t- chapter 10 verses uh, 5 6 and seven Hebrews 10 5 6 and seven say this. <laughs> um, I just love, I love the word and how it speaks. Um, But the author of Hebrews is offering commentary on the book of Jeremiah, and to explain the book of Jeremiah, he turns and uses Isaiah, um, Psalm 40, which is what this is. And so it's just, it's all tying together, just, I mean, beautifully. And so the author here is now quoting uh, Psalm 40. It says in in Hebrews 10, verse 5, it says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, quote, uh, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin-, sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Uh, jump down, keep going to verse 8. That's the end of the quote from Psalm 40. And when Psalm... Uh, Hebrews 8, eh, Hebrews 10, verse 8, as you continue, says, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Okay, the Mosaic covenant. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. And he abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body meaning the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. So when you look at the, at, at, at the body of this text right here, of Psalm 40, okay, <laughs> so, so Hebrews 10, verse 5, you know, song, the Psalms were written uh, poetically, you know, which is different. You write a poem differently than you would write a, a novel. You know, it's, uh, it's much more beautiful, and there's different types of syntax and, and all this different stuff. And we see see pattern here in in Psalm 40. All right, so look at it here with me together. What it's doing is it's saying one statement and then another statement, and then it's restating the first statement, and then it's restating the second statement. You see what I mean? It's got like... Like, you got line 1, 2, 3, and 4, and these two are connected, and these two are connected, you know what I mean? And when you... If you just read it as it is, it might be like, a little confusing, but read it with me here. Follow along in your mind. It says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired. Pause. Um, Jump down to verse 6. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. See it's saying the same thing? You tracking there? All right. Now you bump back where it says, but a body you have prepared for me. And then bump down to verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And this is a reference of Jesus Christ saying, But a body you have prepared for me, meaning I, as God the Son, will be given a body of flesh. This is Old Testament stuff. I mean, this is is absolute prophecy right here. And then it jumps down to verse 7, Behold... I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. But this is in the Psalms. So the scroll of the book is is referring to previous Old Testament texts. And when Jesus is in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Not my will, but yours be done, Jesus in the Garden in 33 AD is referencing and speaking of and fulfilling the prophecy that happened. Uh, when King David wrote this text inspired by God himself, but actually <coughs> writing inspired words of Jesus Christ before he came to this earth. Isn't that cool? Um, and so again, re- keep, keep reading it with me. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, which is referring to the old, the old law, saying it's not going to be a total fulfillment, but a body you have prepared for me as the Son of God, and in burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure because that cannot ultimately fulfill the blood requirement for the ultimate fulfillment of, of taking care of sin. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. Luke twenty two forty two. 42, not my will, but yours be done, as it is written of me. So in verse uh, 9, keep going down, it says, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second, or the new covenant. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body, the same body that was referred to in, that, in Psalm 40 of Jesus Christ once and for all. So, all of this has one more step that says that there is a better covenant coming. <laughs> you know? So this is the law. You've know. You got to have a high priest, and you have to make atonement your <coughs> sin because blood is always the right response to your sin. Um, and, you, and you can only meet before God in the place that he has ordained, which is the Holy of Holies. And this is all going to happen for the sake of all the people, and it's going to happen on a routine yearly. Uh, but it's not the end. There's a better covenant coming. There's a better covenant coming. There's a better covenant coming. And so we enter now as we move forward in understanding that this is the old law, this is the mosaic law, this is the sacrificial system, that the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, it is here. We have a better covenant. We have a better tent. We have better blood. And it is better forever. Why do we need a better blood? It is needed because any time there is a new covenant, a new covenant will always require blood. Um... Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. A new covenant always requires blood. Hebrews nine eighteen says this. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, And he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood both on the tent and the vessels used in worship, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So again, we see that blood is always the right response to sin, in that blood actually inaugurates in this in this instance. Blood inaugurates a new covenant. If we jump back before this text in verse fifteen, so Hebrews nine fifteen, it says, Therefore he, meaning Jesus Christ, is the mediator or the go between of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred, right, the shedding of blood. Since a death has has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 16. For where a will is involved, right, meaning the legal document. When somebody dies they leave a will, right? Verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established for a will takes effect only at death since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood you see how this is fitting together so the new covenant which is official it's like an official document but it can't take place until there's a shedding of blood it is required for there to be a new document it can't just be like eh let's let's do away with that no Blood is required and it inaugurates a new covenant. Um, flip back to Matthew, if you would, chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 26. First book of the New Testament. Matthew 26, 26. Matthew 26, 26 says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus, this is Jesus in the, in the in Last Supper, okay? Um, that night, he will be arrested um, and crucified, um, just for context, okay? Now, as they were eating, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and he said, take eat, this is my body, and he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Which sounds very similar to Hebrews 9.13 that says, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you which is actually a reference to Exodus 24. So Jesus is saying there is a new blood here. There is a better blood because there is a new (laughs) covenant that will be poured out for the sins of mankind. Um, Going back to Hebrews chapter 9, and if you go back further to Hebrews 9 uh, verse 11, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, or the better things that have come, then through the greater, or the better, and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood... Of goats and bulls with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, meaning the temporal. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We have here a contrast between flesh and conscience. The last word of verse 13 is flesh. If you see that there, and what it's referring to is the old sacrificial system and the killing of, of goats and bulls and the temporary purification of the flesh. It's almost like uh, of the of the physical washing of your body. You can wash your body in the shower in a bath, but it's going to get dirty again and therefore require a new washing, right? A new skin to be provided by God, a new sacrifice, a new blood to wash away your sin now in the flesh. But because there is a better blood that is not just uh, somebody claims to be better, but verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish. So an absolutely perfect blood is able to purify your conscience. And the conscience there is speaking about what is inside of your flesh. The eternal nature of your being, your soul. That the blood of Christ, which is without blemish, is able to do something that the law previously was not able to do. And purify your very conscience, which is an eternal act. Which is an eternal act. That it can purify your conscience from dead works and serve the living God. And so what we see here is we see a display of the fulfillment of how all of this is lesser and made better in these few verses, starting in verse 11. When Christ appeared, verse 11, track this with me. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent... Not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the, if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, temporary, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself up without blemish, purify your conscience? So, what is better than the high priest, Jesus? What is better than the blood of goats, Jesus' blood? What is better than the holy of holies or the tent, heaven itself, where God dwells? It is better as a direct, as it uh, it is not covering for all the people, but for you. It is personal, and it doesn't happen yearly, but is forever. Better. 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 Jesus does this, and he does it here, and he does it for you, and he does it forever. Better, 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 better. The better blood inaugurates a new covenant. It's better because it can do more. Why is the iPhone 6 better than the iPhone 5? Because it does more. You know? It does more. That's the definition of the word better. Why is this a better situation? Because it does more for you. It's better. it's better. It's better It's better because it does more than what the old did. The old is passing away. The old will vanish. But the new is an infinite better. There is a theme in these verses... And the theme is of the conscience, which is of the eternal nature of your personal being. We're going to look at a couple of verses, and I would like for you to flip with me. It's all in Hebrews 9 and 10. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9. Hebrews 9 9 it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices of this old system are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper or the individual. Alright? That this old system is how you find life and blessing, but it cannot ultimately perfect your conscience in the life of the worshiper. Hebrews nine, verse thirteen. Excuse me, Hebrews nine, fourteen. How much more would the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, purify your conscience? So in the old way it couldn't be purified, and the new way your conscience can be. Jump to 10, chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews 10, 1. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, the law, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 2, otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience, consciousness of sin. Meaning that they still had sin on their hearts. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. So every time that they did this, it was always a reminder that we are broken. We are sinful. And we need to follow these laws in order to receive life and blessing from God. If we don't, death and curse. And it has to be a continual thing. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, because of these better fulfillments, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that we can enter heaven... Through the mediator of Jesus Christ, <coughs> since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened up, opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, meaning through the torn curtain or through his torn flesh or through the shedding of his blood. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near <coughs> with a true heart and full assurance of faith, With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That because of the work of Christ and his torn flesh and the spilling of his blood, which is a better blood than that of goats and bulls, that we can be free and our hearts can be sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That God has provided a way. That God provided a way for Adam through blood. That God provided a way for the children of Israel through blood. And God has provided a way for us through blood. That blood is always the right response to sin. We are still living in a cursed world. We are still living in a world of death. All around us. You will die. Buster tells us that all the time. (laughs) You know, your days are numbered literally. Your blood will spill. Whether it's, it's, it's literally or figuratively, you will die as a result of sin. But we have the blood of Christ that offers us a new way to know God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the great thing about this is, and the great thing about the word is that we are able to go back and look at the old sacrificial system. And I believe that as we go back and we look at the old sacrificial system, even though it is so far out of our zone, and so far, I mean, we don't know, I mean, I mean, we couldn't have known anybody that knew anybody that knew anybody that knew anybody that remembered that. It is so far ago. But it is important for us to remember that when we sin our sins can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That is not to make lightly of our sins because we need to acknowledge that that, that death, that blood was spilt for your sin. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. And as big of a deal as that is, for us to remember when we find ourselves wallowing in guilt, because of habitual sin maybe or because you did something that you know you shouldn't have or that there's something that you just have a hard time moving away from or you have tendencies or your mind always goes to sinful places or you do certain things or there's something that is plaguing you from your past that you just have regrets about that the blood of Jesus has vaporized that And does not have to be remembered. It doesn't have to be brought back up. That it is removed as far as the east is from the west, as it says in the book of Psalms. And somebody once told me this really cool example that, like, east and west, like, you can infinitely go east and west on a globe, you know? You're going east, you're going west, you know? But north and south, like, you can go north, but eventually you're gonna go south again, you know? But east and west is infinite. That the blood of Jesus is better because it's forever. And that your sins are taken care of. And when you find yourself facing sin or facing guilt, you can confess it before God and claim the blood of Jesus because it is better and it has been spilt for you. And that is why this text ends with Hebrews 10.19. Look at this. Hebrews 10.19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he has opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us do these five things. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of this great hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful that we can trust the blood. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir, one up, to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, let us not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, and let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day. See capital D there? As you see the day drawing near. This is the day. It is explained in chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. As you, as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 9 27 and says, just as, as it is appointed, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await him. That there will be a second coming of Christ, and Christ has already dealt with sin because he has already died, and he is coming back for us. And that is a day that we can eagerly await. That there is a day that we can look at for joy, because this isn't over. Because this points to the full the full fulfillment of the day coming. And we need to know, just like we know we will die, that Jesus will come back again. Mm-hmm. And that is the hope. That is the better hope that we have. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this. I thank you for your word. I thank you for... Uh, the promise of fulfillment. And I thank you for the better blood of Jesus Christ, Father, that was spilled for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're uh, today we're taking the Lord's Supper. Um, what? Which I just think is cool. Um, this has been planned for months, and that's been planned for months. And uh, when we worship... Let's remember the, the spilled blood of Christ. You know, so sign up for the retreat. I'll see you at connect. Oh my goodness! Did you say that? Um Guys, we're going to record stuff that goes on at the conference. We're going to do what? Like, record the conference. Oh, our or, retreat? Yeah. Or Yeah. Yes. Retreat. Oh, cool. You mentioned that, and I...